I, I see where you're going with this and you're trying to catch me in craziness and it's working, but <laughs> screw you. <laughs> Hey, this is Eric Van Johnson, and you're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 91, recorded January 11th, 2018. In this show, John, Tom, and I talk about the things in PHP that really change the way we code. We talk about our local meetups, some conference news of local PHP community conferences that are starting up this year, and Thomas teaches us how to write a quantum program and a lot more. So let's get started. The year is 1969. In a little town called Helsinki, Finland, a young Linus Torvalds is born. Linus would grow up to change the world. He would later attend, uh, where did he attend? Helsinki, the University of Helsinki where he would uh, start to do work on a, a computer science degree, you know, get that uh, education. Now, this is back in 1988 to 1996. So the Internet was nowhere near what it is. However, Linus ends up purchasing an Intel 8386, a IBM PC clone. He did this so that he could run a copy of Minix, which was the operating system that they were learning on. Linus would later take Minix and write his own operating system that would change and revolutionize the world called Linux. He first released Linux to the public in the year 1991. This is episode 91 of PHP Ugly. Coincidence? I think not. These things are getting longer and longer and so, longer. I'm going to have a whole show like that. <laughs> Obviously, you you missed my my retweet from earlier. <clears throat> if it involves mudslides, I will not entertain that conversation no. with you, Thomas. Um, so someone was notifying the person who runs LKML.org, the Linux kernel mailing list. That, oh, Linus, that oh, shit. Linus uses that to do all of his outbound communication to the community. And it turns mm-hmm. out that uh, the guy who runs it is running it on a computer in his house. And he's on vacation and a power outage knocked it out and he can't get it back on until he gets home from vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so, some 1991 level problems right there. That's hilarious. When I read that, it reminded me of... Uh, Back in the day, like when high-speed inter- internet first became available, you had all the ports open to your house, including things oh, yeah. like port 80, port 443. And again, speaking of Linux, I was one of the early adopters of Linux. And so I had a tower that was a server uh, running Linux. And I uh, I made a blog post. I was, I was doing my own personal blog and stuff. And I'm sitting there typing one night on my computer. It's like one, two o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden I hear tick, 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 tick. I look over at my server, and it's just going haywire. And it runs like that all night long till around seven, eight o'clock in the morning. I realize the server is like down. It's not. It's not serving up my blog anymore. So I'm like, what the hell? And I, I turn it off, and I, I turn it back on, and. You know, about five, ten minutes later, the same thing starts to happen. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I start checking out the logs. And I I got 
So it was before Reddit. It was before Dig. There was another site slash dot. No, it wasn't. It wasn't slash dotted. It was. Oh, I can't remember what it is now. It just escaped me. Anyways, I got posted on one of these boards, and the traffic was insane. And it went like that for like two or three days. I, had, I eventually just turned off my server. I'm like, this has got to stop. No, nothing of caching at that time, right? <laughs> no, no, I know nothing of nothing. I mean, I don't even remember what I had written the the little blog. It was probably just HTML at the time. It was it was insane. Yeah, I was in charge of my... I was in charge of my uh, network security at my first job in 99. And it was still very much the case then that stuff was just open on the internet for no good reason. And right. because my job was security, I was learning all of the security tools that I would ever want to learn and ended up printing things to printers all over the country that were just left open on the internet. <laughs> it was always fun. Can yeah, that that always fun connecting to like your neighbors computers and like seeing all their files and then telling them about it and, and keep in mind telnet was the way you jumped from box to box back then too it was it was a crazy time that's, that's we how were, i still we jump from box man. to box what are you talking about of course it is i, I thought you were using that windows protocol net netbase or whatever what are you talking about netbios netbios no it was oh boy netbios was fun was that it? Yeah. Was that the one where you could send alerts to all the computers on the network? Yeah, and you could open up something called a null connection where you tried to authenticate, but then turned down the option to authenticate. And so you're now uh, registered as a guest on the network. And once you're a guest on the network, you can start enumerating all the computers that are there and wasn't there passwords. A, wasn't there a uh, version of Windows where it would ask you for a password that you could just cancel out of? No, that was Mac uh, about a month and a half ago. <laughs> it's funny because it's is true. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> oh, man. Brutal. You guys are brutal. You're right, though. I know. It's going to have to go in the All show right, notes so now. I have, a, I have a question for you guys. I want to I pose a question because I was thinking about this today. And I have an answer. But I, I want to hear y'all's answers first. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask a question. Let me ask the question first. What in the history of your learning PHP, what really revolutionized or changed the way you code? Now I'm gonna take a few things off the table. A couple of, of what I think are obvious. Composers off the table. IDEs are off the table. Frameworks are off the table. I'm looking for something that you learned that you were like, man, I wish I had known this, you know, five years ago, and I would be such a better developer today. What? It doesn't have to be recent. It could have been something that you learned when you did start. I don't know. Just what? What lesson? What pattern? What workflow? What function? What happened that made you say, "Wow, this is a game changer for me"? Object orientation being the big one. What was that? Just object-oriented programming. I mean... Oh, object-oriented? Okay, I, I, that's, that's a great I mean, point. I came up where you had so many files and you had functions everywhere. You were including files everywhere, but it was just functional or just functions that you were calling. Uh, I don't... So my question for you, John, did you learn object-oriented programming through PHP? So I... Yes and no. 
I knew of objects. I knew, like, I I was writing Java and uh, Ada and using those languages in college. But when I got into web programming and I was in Perl and PHP, so I knew how to use objects, but how to, how to define my own and really use them took me a long time. And learning learning okay. the different patterns, you know, I'm still on a, a learning course, constantly learning. That's why I love always, love the meetups always. and conferences and everything else. Uh, but learning new patterns and how to write good objects is was a game changer. Yeah, Thomas, I stopped learning for years and years. I learned enough to carry me through at a pace I was comfortable with. And I went to a meetup and I met two guys who were passionate about learning. And... <laughs> it's a fool. You can't, no, you can't, laugh, can be a real you can't answer, laugh until you, you hear the punchline. Absolutely. Shout out to Kalen. Um, <laughs> no, I met the two of you. Honestly, I, you guys were passionate and you were pr- presenting stuff I'd never even thought of or heard of before. You encouraged me to start presenting, which brought me down this path of improving myself every day and learning something that I could give to other people. And yeah, absolutely. The meetups totally changed my trajectory. Yeah, now you make me feel like a jerk for treating you so bad all this time. That, that's a great answer. The, the, the continued learning. The, that, it really is. That would be my... Th- I was, well, I was that, done. That that's what, that's what made me think of this question is I realized... I was thinking about today of how it seems like every week or two I'm learning something new and like, like earth shattering stuff that, you know, once I learn, it seems so obvious, but it's like, this is, this is dynamite. This is dynamite stuff. And I was thinking, I was like, we have to be in one of the only fields with maybe, maybe scientists do this as well. Doctors. We have to be in one of the, one of the few fields where, it's this constant learning. Um, it's it's just amazing. And I know we have a couple of people watching live. If you guys feel like ch- shouting out, uh, you know, things for yourselves, feel free. Uh, we'll we'll mention it here. Yeah. I, I to this day, and I think I've I've told you this in the past. To this day, I credit Ruby and Rails for my passion in making me a better PHP developer. Because I was one of the quintessential learn PHP on my own, basically learn PHP with Dreamweaver. Um, every bad practice in the book I did, and I did with pride. And, you know, I would have things happening and thought this was great. But I started reading up on things like object-oriented programming. And I'm like, I really, I really want to do this, but I had trained myself certain with PHP and I couldn't get my head around object oriented programming in PHP because it's, it, it made sense, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to implement it or where to implement it or when the best time to implement it. And I always would break down with that and trying to say, okay, I think I can just create a function to do this. I'll just put the code here and I'll put the code there and I'll put the code over here. And uh, it just makes more sense because I had to ch- tweak, tweak it a little bit here, tweak it a little bit there. And I, I couldn't get my mindset on object-oriented programming. And I really felt like I was going to die as a PHP developer. 
And essentially, I did. I'm like, I'm, I'm giving up on PHP. I'm, I'm moving on. And I took up Ruby and Ruby on Rails specifically because it was supposed to be the, the next hotness. The, it was going to be the thing that dethroned PHP. It was designed for the web or designed with the web in mind and this and that. And I sp- probably spent a good year to two years hardcore uh, Rails programming. And because I didn't know Ruby and I didn't know Rails, I learned object-oriented programming because that's that's what it was. And it all just made sense because I wasn't fighting the knowledge. I wasn't fighting the learning. And it all made sense, and I put it all together. And it was around year two, I was still feeling like, well, I could do this faster in PHP. I know how to do this in PHP. How do I do it in Rails? And I, I was constantly trying to figure out how to do things in Rails that I would do in PHP when I finally just took a step back and said, okay, why am I doing this? I understand object-oriented programming. I, I can apply it to PHP now. I get that. I understand that. And I made my transition back to PHP. And ever since then, I never, I, I have not stopped learning patterns, frameworks, workflows, uh, and Rails, and Ruby and Ruby and Rails specifically just saved me as a PHP developer. And again, I brought that up because it's interesting to see what's happening in the Ruby and the Rails community. Well, it's dead, isn't it? In 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 one in one aspect, it re- really is mirroring the PHP community. Uh, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, when people were saying PHP is dead, it's not evolving, it's not doing anything. And there's a lot of talk about that in the Rails community, or, or the Ruby community. So Rails is a framework built on Ruby. And uh, I hardly ever hear anything about Rails. I mean, there's still a lot of Rails developers out there, and I see job postings for it. But it doesn't doesn't have anywhere near the, the speed that it used to have. And then, yeah, exactly what you said, Thomas. I come across this this article, you know, is, is Ruby still dead? Or Ruby still isn't it dead? You know? And I was reading up and I'm like, no, it's not dead. It's just, you know, they're just not doing that, that much new cool stuff with it. And that's probably one of the problems with these, these languages and these platforms that get their notoriety for being cutting edge, bleeding edge, that new hottest. When that, when that, you know, that shine, that polish wears off on the platform and they have to go through the grind of being supporting stuff four years, five years, ten years out. And it's no longer about being the newest, coolest thing. It's about what can we do that, you know, what can we implement that doesn't break all our legacy code for the past five years? <laughs> See, I'm glad PHP is not doing it. I'm glad PHP is all about breaking legacy code now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I, it's interesting to see the mirrors I still think, you know, PHP won out on the web, not because it was a better platform, not because it it was superior in any way. It was because it was a default install in every server that was deployed. And it was easy. And if you ever tried to, yeah, well, Rails was easy. Ruby was easy. If you, Ruby is a natural language almost. I mean, I feel the same way about Python. You, you cannot... You don't need to know anything about programming, and you can look at a Python program and understand what it's doing just by reading through it. 
Rails is the same way. But to deploy a Rails application on the server took some effort, especially in the early days when when hosting providers didn't offer it as, as a platform. That's why people like Heroku you know, got a got a head start because they catered to the to the Rails community. Um, so that's why now, PHP stuck in there. Now you know, I I gave a presentation yesterday, my my classic intro to object oriented programming in PHP with cats. <laughs> with cats, yeah, like meow meow cats, meow meow cats. <laughs> it was my. Is there, it was my first. Kind? So, it was my first sober presentation. Oh, that had been weird. It was. I remember the whole thing. <laughs> How'd it go? Uh, it went really well. You know, we had a really good turnout. I told you we had, you know, maybe four or five people the first meetup, and mm-hmm. we had a solid 12 people. Everyone who said they were going to come did come. Wow. That's unusual. <clears throat> yeah. And it was a it was a fantastic meetup. I was conscious the whole time. <laughs> um and it was it was a really good mix of people who had never programmed and were looking into it, people who had programmed but weren't doing it professionally, and people who were programmers for a couple of years taking over certain tasks at their office or whatever, and a couple of people who had years and years of experience. And mm-hmm. it's I mean it really that's the kind of mix that you want at a meetup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um you know, and some some strange stuff. You know, there was a guy there who he was there because he'd worked at Verizon for twenty years and realized that every year they lay off twenty percent of their staff and that he was probably gonna end up in that twenty percent sooner rather than later. So he was looking for a skill that he could be interested in and apply in the real world. And, you know, and then the the very classic uh, people like me with questionable hygiene and (laughs) extensive knowledge. (laughs) So Ted Nugent in chat, Ted Nugent brings up a really good one. He he agrees. He talks about moving to object-oriented programming. He brought, he brought up another one that had a big impact on me that I, I didn't even think about, but templating. When he when he learned the concept of template templating and using Twig, where you he, you could just write you know a template for your output, uh, that was a that was a, that, a big one for him. That, that was a that was very a awkward tra- transition from <laughs> from Thomas's <laughs> Thomas's story, and you went back to another one without like. <laughs> well, John, I, I do believe I I said if people were willing to offer up this information, I just in said chat, it was a weird transition. It. it was just a weird transition. Well, so, I don't think uh, all of our listeners. I was, tra- I was trying to get back to it and bring it back in before we started. It could have been. It just could have been a different transition and bringing the whole show to a stop. Uh, that was that was pleasant and not making it completely obvious, but good work. And good for work. the for so the listeners, sure there are listeners watching who the stream that. live, Ted Nugent is the alias of, of somebody in the Yahoo or in the uh, YouTube chat right now. Not the I'm pretty sure it's Ted not an Nugent. alias. I think his name is Ted Nugent. I, I've spoken with this guy on uh, Twitter before. I'm pretty sure that's his name. But if 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 you want to think there's only one real Ted Nugent in the world, okay. Uh, apparently that is apparently that is his real name. That's impressive. Yeah, I, I I know I I will vouch for the guy. Well, I so I was I was giving a lot of examples using cats as sort of prototypical objects in PHP, uh, 
mammals as traits or interfaces, things like that, just using, you know, metaphors for everything like I do. And one of the, one of the guys there said, uh, Hey, you, uh, you really researched about cats for this presentation, didn't you? I said, I really wish I could say I had, but everything on here was just stuff I already knew about cats. <laughs> but that was, uh, I believe that was one of the first presentations I gave at SDPHP with you guys. Uh, I don't remember a cat one, but it very well could have been. So what else, what else going on this week? You guys had a meetup. We did last night and we had, uh, we ended up having two talks. We did. We now have one of our members doing a lightning talk every month on Vue. <clears throat> he's been doing a project for us. Been over a year now, year and a half, and he's grown to to love it as his front end language, and just wants to help other people continue down that path. So he did a a lightning talk on testing within Vue because it lined up well with the main presentation we had, which was on. Cucumber, Gherkin, and Bee Hat. So, so I, I need more information on that because I don't know Cucumber or Gherkin. Uh, for PHP, they're all kind of one and the same, right? Cucumber was, I guess, the it's the testing language just in general. Was it first written for Ruby? Did he say that last night? Yeah. And then Gherkin is the... Uh, or that's where it got his popularity, yeah. at least. Gherkin is like the, the natural language specification where you the have a scenario, yeah. yeah. You have a scenario and you lay it out given these conditions and then this happens, you, you verify information after that. Hmm. And then Behat is the PHP version of Cucumber. Why they didn't call it Cucumber, I don't know. Because it's called Behat. Weren't you paying attention last night, John? <laughs> I never pay attention. You know he wasn't. I, I don't know if we mentioned it Thomas, and it was brought to our attention again last night, but the organizer of Peak PHP, we talked about how he used to live in San Diego. Yes. Well, where we host our San Diego PHP meetups is actually at the company he works for currently. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we we appreciate them uh, taking care of yeah, us. Yeah. When you told us about him previously, we assumed that he used to work there and then moved to Colorado and didn't anymore and we found out last night that he is still actively employed working remote yeah he's he's he pulled off the exact same thing i did which was which was managed to work remotely but in the same city and then uh to say oh by the way i'm moving to colorado springs and moving to colorado springs with the same pay it's a nice deal yeah i don't get that whole good job pay by where you live thing that's crazy but we've talked it about came up before. at my it came up at my meetup actually. One of the guys said, "Well, what is what is the market like for PHP right now? If I learn PHP, is there a good market for it?" And uh, one of the more experienced attendees said, "Oh yeah, you know, there's there's guys who've been doing this long enough and know enough about it that they're making upwards of hundred thousand dollars a year." And I just sort of looked around the room and went, "Yeah, there are some guys like that. Let's <laughs> move on." <laughs> so. That's interesting you should say that, John, because obviously we're in a position where we have remote developers working for us, and you know we base our pay, pay scale evenly across the board. But do you feel like there really there isn't an argument for saying, 
Uh, now, I I don't know how you would handle it if somebody like Thomas starts working in San Diego, gets a pay scale based on that, and then moves to somewhere like Colorado. But you're you're saying that there is no argument for somebody in you know Louisiana or some somewhere that we, has a lower cost of living. I don't. We thoroughly hashed this out in a previous episode. Yeah, we we did, and no, I don't believe that. I think it's absolutely ridiculous if if a company is willing to to pay whatever uh let's 100 is nice or not they're willing to pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars if they live near them why would they not pay the and they're doing the same exact job but they live in louisiana why would you not pay them the same amount that's yeah remote is remote there's well i mean there there could be the argument be made that you know, you're remote in San Diego, but if your company's in San Diego and they need you to show up at the office, they, you have that flexibility. So that to them ha- adds value. When, when I was hired in 2012 to work remote, and I had the conversation we're talking about pay, and I was asking how they determined it, they determined it based on where you lived at that time. Luckily, I knew. Really? I, luckily, I knew I was moving to San Diego, and I said, "Well, I'm about to move to San Diego, so can we base it off of that?" Because at the time, I didn't have the strong opinion I have now. I, I didn't work remote. I didn't know. But the more I've learned, I just I just don't get that. You should be willing to pay somebody a certain amount. And granted, I, could, I understand. You're talking to somebody, going back to Thomas's example of Louisiana, and you tell them 70 and they're ecstatic. Of course, I want to save the money as a business owner. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I... I don't think a company should tell them that you're paying them less because they live somewhere that has a low cost of living. It should be mm. a okay. when in your negotiation, maybe the company knows that and they start lower, but I don't think you tell them. It just to me it makes me feel why am I being paid less just because of where I live? Okay. For Which the is record, why I will be working out of Hawaii from now on. <laughs> For the record, I, I completely agree with you. As a matter of fact, our whole business model is based on the value of effort and not the X amount of dollars for X amount of heads. It's it's a value of effort. And I really believe in that. It's If I see this much value in, in the X amount of effort, I don't care where you live, I'm going. I'm willing to pay you. So I, I do agree with you. On, from that perspective, I also think that somebody in Louisiana can use that for leverage. For example, if they were to reach out to a company that they know they typically typically pay seventy dollars an hour for a developer, and they come to the conclusion, "Hey, I can do this for fifty dollars an hour and still have a nice living based on where I live," uh, I can, you know, that income will have me sitting pretty. I, I definitely would not hold that against a consultant contractor going to a company saying, hey, I know you pay this much. I know you're considering other candidates. If it helps, I'm willing to do it for this much less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing wrong um, with that. I that. mean, that's that's all part of negotiation. So with, so with that said, then what are your feelings with offshoring where you're paying these offshore companies you know, a fraction of what you would pay a U.S. based person. You're getting a fraction of the skill. Well, not necessarily. There's plenty of good offshore places, but if you're going offshore, you're you know you're doing that already, and you know they are working for a super cut rate 
at that time. I'm talking more. Yeah, like, well, when I say skill, I mean quality. And you're usually with offshoring. I see people handing whole projects over and stepping away from the coding altogether. So yeah. ho- hold on, hold on. I'm not letting John off the hook that easy because his argument's not not standing up to me. So <laughs> it, it's it's standing up. It depends. So if you're bringing someone in to be part of your team, mm-hmm. that's one thing. To me, going off. Okay. If I'm offshoring, I'm not. They may. They're subsidizing my team, but I, I see where you're going with this, and you're trying to catch me in craziness, and it's working. But <laughs> screw you. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> at that point. I'm making a conscious decision to to find cut rate people. Mm-hmm. See, I I chalk it up to them making that determination, mm-hmm. like like them coming to me and saying, "Hey, we'll do this for." You know, fifteen twenty dollars an hour, mm-hmm. and me saying, "Okay, I won't turn that down." But I, you know, if somebody in Egypt was to respond to a job posting I had, I would treat them. I think I would hope I would treat them the same way I would treat anybody else as far as pay scale and all that goes. Uh, it's just hard to figure out where. Where that line gets drawn, yeah, and then I get so. I get so concerned with with that anyway. Like, I don't know how to deal with taxes or any of that mm-hmm. dealing overseas, so I would avoid it myself altogether. But well, we are we are technically international now, John. I know we are, and that scares me too. We're so mostly like... international. Hmm? The podcast is mostly international. No, I'm talking Diego Dev. Yeah. We we have developers outside the U.S. borders. Ooh, say it a quietly. Developer. Trump is always listening. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna build a wall around that person. See the little bead of sweat building up on John's forehead. Eric, you're talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of meetups, I went to another one tonight. It was uh, two, two in a row. Two in a row. This one was interesting because I got to take Grace into it. So I got to go at go pick him up from preschool and then it was just me and him all afternoon and took him down we went and got a little ice cream and hot chocolate first before the meetup so that made his his you had a little pregame yeah we did pregame you had a a pregame we we did (laughs) i met david and his son there and uh just hung out at waypoint public which is a little local it's not really a brewery look me in the eye what look me in the eye john look me in the eyes with Spencer there <laughs> at pregame? No. <laughs> Damn it! Being a minor. Oh man. So we went to a, a co-working facility, and Tulia was sponsoring a bots, tots, and lunchboxes. So it's basically you could you could bring your your kid. They're targeting like six to ten age range, but because they're just starting, they just wanted to get people there. So a bunch of us that. Have three and a half year olds showed up. And a bunch of adults showed up. Basically. And they had some, they had uh, Makey Makeys. Is that what it's called? Oh, nice. It's, Makey's? What, what, what so is a Makey Makey? I, I just happened to see it on a YouTube channel by Simone Gertz recently. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Oh, I love her. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, she, Shitty Robots. Yes. The Queen of Shitty Robots. The queen yes. Of, yes. Yeah. Uh, so she did it, and it's basically a little breadboard. You can connect leads up to different things, and it basically becomes a, a miniature keyboard. So it's hitting your arrow keys and a couple of others, and then you can hook up to 
different applications. I think these were running, uh, actually, I don't know what they were running because I didn't set it up. But anyway, one of them was being a uh, piano. And what he did was took the leads and put them into a banana. And then you held the ground lead. And then as you tapped the different bananas, it played a different key on a piano. <laughs> so just fun things like that. There are Twitch streamers who specialize in getting insane high scores in video games on bananas and potatoes and things like that using Makey Makeys. That's funny. <laughs> so anyway, the meetup had things like that. They had another one that was playing cymbals and drums. They had a little robot that was on the ground that you were, it would basically tell you a story and you would make the robot move through the different squares, right? So you, you pre-program and say, okay, go two squares this way, turn right 90 degrees, go two squares. Uh, that's a little more advanced. You know, the kids weren't really getting that. Uh, they had different tablet things. They had uh, little robots you could build that were like catapults and things. So really uh, a fun environment for the for us all to be in. Really interesting. And I won one of the catapult things, so now I get to build that with, with Grayson. <laughs> We we'd actually started it and we we had a couple of pieces put together and then they did the drawing and I won one. It was like perfect. I was just saying how I wanted one of these. I want one of the Cosmo robots. I don't know what that is. They're adorable. I need friends. <laughs> <laughs> they actually had a they started a three D print of a Lego character at the very beginning and it took like almost two hours to print it out. And then all the kids were amazed that it was nothing, and now there's a Lego character there. 3D printing is the future. Mm -hmm. Keep saying I want one. Um, but... Yeah, me too. You really think it's still the future, though? I feel like oh, yeah. it was the future, then it stopped being the future again. No, they're, they're making all sorts of stuff with 3D printing. I, no, I, saw, I saw some I saw stuff that. today that I just thought, that's so incredibly mundane, but it's so not, because it has no copyright holder or trademark holder or patent holder it's somebody released a thing that holds the lid for a crock pot so that you just mm -hmm. pull the crock pot up and put the lid on it and it sits there and it's like my wife uses a crock pot literally every day i could print that thing out in three hours and she would think i was the greatest person in the world you could buy it off amazon for a quarter of what the stuff would cost you to print it out and kinda i saw it, it on amazon it, it was 17 dollars on amazon yeah. Which for a piece of plastic is way too much. Yeah. I saw a guy yeah, designing I mean, I, his I own have, speaker house. I have broken things where I've been like, man, if I had a 3D printer, I could probably print one of these up and you know not have to buy a whole new whatever to replace it. Did yeah. Did you see and I don't know if it was real or if it was a hoax, the the cement 3D printer that would like print yeah, that's a, real. Prints a house. Yeah. Yeah, house yeah. house printing is totally a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I, need, I, I, need I think I think that actually has yeah I think that actually has more uh, validity than than home three D printing. To be honest with you, um, I don't think I don't think home three D printing is going to be a big thing for you know thirty years. But the time will come in our lifetimes when home three D printing the, is just like an inkjet printer. No, it's it's going to have to be like an Echo device where you sit there and tell the device, "Hey, I need a one inch gasket." And it just prints it. Oh, you're living in sure. Star Trek that, days, huh? Yeah, it's gonna have to be like the Star Trek machine. That that's when it'll get universal adoption. But um, 
I, is I know, it crazy? I is it crazy to say that that might be thirty years from now? That would be within our lifetime. You say you want it, and no, like no. six hours later, you get it. <laughs> right. Where Star Trek is, I need this, and you have it right away. Well, it's Star Trek is because three hundred years in the future. I th- I think that companies realize that and have started patenting a lot more of their smaller pieces that they never thought they would have to ever patent just to help prevent this whole 3D printing uh, wave. I, yeah, there's I been know a, I've read stories on this. There's been a ruling, a ninth court ruling similar to that kind of stuff. I'm not sure if you saw this. Mm-mm. But on an on an appellate ruling from a case in 2012 the ninth court of appeals stated that violating a website's terms of service is not criminal and cannot be treated as a crime okay i'm really curious about what that 2012 uh, court case was because if it has anything to do with the picture that's on the article so it the picture on the article is the internet, the internet's own son. Um, boy, I can't remember his name, just his nickname. <laughs> uh, Adam Schwartz, Aaron Schwartz, Aaron Schwartz, yeah, yeah Aaron right. Schwartz. Um, but it's actually related to a ruling of Oracle versus Rimini, yeah, where where they were claiming that their terms of service violations were criminal and requesting legal action but because this is an appellate court ruling that's no longer the case that it will be thrown out out of hand if you try to say that violations of terms of service is part of the computer fraud and abuse act yeah i I was really hoping there would be some justice for aaron swartz uh if you if you're not familiar with that court case look it up it's heartbreaking. The yeah, the there's a short documentary about him called "The Internet's Own Boy." Uh, Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. Put, put that card on there so it makes it into our show notes. Um, you've gotta, you've gotta watch that. It's, oh, it's heartbreaking. It's just a miscarriage of justice all around. It's, it's frustrating. Not to say that he was not doing anything wrong on any level. There was some, you know questionable trespassing and but what they were trying to get him for was not that and it's just a sad story so make sure you make sure you watch that video i'm a big fan of this uh, if this show hasn't been enough of a downer then make sure to polish it off (laughs) with a nice documentary about suicide john pisses me off and i just start spiraling downhill how'd i piss you off you pissed me off man so earlier today, uh, Thomas asked me if I was going to put some cards on Trello. So I put a bunch up there that were all stupid. But there's one, I have no clue what I was saying. C-O-M-P-A-I-N-E-R-S. Com- Campaigners. Yeah, companers, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I have no clue what I was typing. Com- Speaking of campaigners, I've been using <laughs> Docker a lot lately. <laughs> Good transition. Eric, I know you're a Docker guy. Right? Complainers, maybe? Yes, I am. I'm I, I've really, really started. Oh, you're right. Docker. It was complainers. <laughs> I was it really? Shut... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I thought I thought Thomas uh, had it right. I thought you were trying to say containers. No, it was compl- it was talking about Thomas complaining about me not putting cards on Trello. Of, of course, of course. <laughs> oh, that's oh, great! Man. Thank you. So for I that spun out. down, I spun down my <laughs> vagrant machines, and I am only using Docker now. Nice, very nice. Um, How's that working you know, out for you? We're Laravel junkies, just sort of out of necessity and habit. And uh, there is a Docker container assistant out there called Laradoc. Yeah, there is. That's kind of the old version, but uh, very valid. Kind of everything in the kitchen sink implementation. Yeah, so it's got all these Docker files. It has all these subdirectories for all the possible versions you could want to run um every web server every every database store you could possibly think of every caching store you could think of every version of php uh, hhvm still yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. stock it's it's really got everything it's typically what i will pull in when i'm trying to create a complex uh environment that i'm hoping to push to a production environment um laradox will kind of be like my template but if you're looking for something to kind of simulate and not to hijack your story thomas um but if you're looking for something to simulate vagrant a little closer or valet even have you checked out vessel yet thomas no oh dude check vessel out so Vessel is a composer install that you include in t- into a project, and it's the whole Docker stack for you uh, to run inside that project. Ooh. So is, are you yeah, creating, you'll like that. Are you creating one container with all your web, uh, database, caching? No, I, no, it, no it, 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 it creates uh, separate containers, and Laradox <clears throat> does as well. And again, Laradox is really good... If you're looking, if what you're trying to accomplish are customized configurations for your web server and, you know, maybe it's talking to a couch DB, uh, but if you're looking for kind of your standard uh, web server, database server, uh, a Redis cache engine, um, Vessel is the way to go. Like if you're not really worried about the, about the services serving up the website, you're just trying to get some development done include vessel in a project and it'll just it'll get up and go it'll be out of your way and life will be will be dandy if you're trying to configure your site to run under certain configurations you could still do that with vessel if you wanted to but i tend to lean towards laradox because it has kind of every web server every database store everything that you just need to kind of put the blocks together now, John, do you know about Docker Compose? Yes. So I this is I don't know if if I'm just dumb for not knowing about this, but this is the thing that ties Docker containers together mm-hmm. so they can all communicate as if they were a single machine. It's also a way of building your container. So if you Yeah, it's if fucking you, awesome. Yeah. So I learned that from somebody that was hired at uh one of our clients who actually got me out of Vagrant and into Docker as well because he was able to figure all this stuff out using a and, base. And John will listen to him and never listen to anything I say. But yeah, go ahead, John. Did I interrupt? Did you hear something, John? Not at all. Uh, all right. So starting with a, a base PHP Docker container and then building everything we needed on top of that 
was really nice. So Ted in our our chat brought up asking about running multiple multiple apps on the same system and are using port mapping. And right. So this is a this is a common issue with Docker because you know you have four sites, especially if you're using something like Vessel, you're running four web servers each typically on a different port. So what, uh, were you going to say something to this? What, yeah, why are you why are you running four web servers? Because Vessel something like Vessel gets pulled into each project. So it that's just how that that's how it runs. It, yeah. it, it's it's a complete stack. So I have the the issue now with this running the main project I work on in Docker, and then if I'm working on something else using Valet, for example, I shut down my Docker web container, start up Nginx, I'll work on that project for a bit, then have to shut down Nginx on my Mac and restart my mm-hmm. container. Right. Now, that, see, that, that's what I do as well, actually. Laradox has a really simple way of handling this, though. I have a solution. Oh, what's that? What's what's that, Thomas? Laradox, when you when you use Docker um, Compose, you can name the network that they're on and assign the IP address. So if you're using Laradox, then you just open up the ENV file, change the IP address of that group for that site, and now you have two different Docker container blocks running with the same port mappings on different IP addresses mapped to different uh, names. So in the, in the instructions for Laradox, it tells you really simply how to do it. And then you have to yeah, edit and your, all your ports. Do you edit your host file so that you're pointing your domain name to that IP? Yeah. Yeah, if you want it to resolve, you, you would do that. Mm-hmm. I, I have been playing around with another solution as well, which was running a separate Docker container that acted as a... Uh, a proxy for all my other Docker containers. So I would have, I would have one Docker container that that's just an Nginx proxy server, which would be exposed to my local host. So in the example, um, Thomas is referring to nothing gets exposed to local hosts, uh, port 80. It it all has these internal uh, IP maps. The one I was playing around with doing was having a Nginx proxy server, in front of all of it and having that exposed to localhost port 80 and uh, having it every time I added a Docker, whether it was through uh, vessel, whether it was through Laradox, whether I just spun up a Docker separately, I would add it to the proxy and let the proxy explain to the proxy how to manage the, the, the domain. Now I would still have to manually edit my, my host file. It's not like valet. I've never looked into using that, uh, what is it? DSQ mask or whatever it is. Valet DNS uses DNS mask. Di- yeah. D- dynamically create that uh, local DNS. That might also be a solution, but you still I still feel like the, yeah. the proxy would work. Hmm? Yep. I agree. I think, I think Laradox actually even has one. It, it might not be Nginx, but I think Laradox has a proxy that they use as well. Or, or it's, it's one of the containers that you can spin up. Yeah, it's been I, a while I, since I've, I've looked at it. I've definitely been loving using Docker instead of Vagrant. It's changed how how I do a lot of things. So, yeah, and it's so it, it it's so less resource intensive than Vagrant is, and you're not losing twenty gigs of your hard drive to it. Thomas, you also said you had a bunch of other stuff you were working on this week that you wanted to 
talk about. I was very excited because you said you had a lot of PHP topics to talk about. I was talking. I was talking about Docker and the PHP meetup. That's it. I, ha- I mean, that, that was. I have something. That was your I have something else. <laughs> I have. I have something else. If you want to hear it. <laughs> you sure. made it sound like you were going to carry the whole show on all your stories. Well, I got a great tweet from the Symphony Twitter account that was talking about a new feature in PHP 7.3 that I think is going to be kind of a big deal, even though it doesn't seem like it. Uh, They're adding a new method called HR time, which is to replace micro time. Oh, I heard about this. It's going to fix some of the uh, limitations and problems with micro time. So I, I read about it too, and I still don't understand what the limitations are with it. Like, how is it any better than micro time? So micro time, if you change the system clock, or if the system clock is updated by uh, NTP or some kind of anything that happens to the timer on the system clock, then it will be off. And you would be surprised how often very, very, very small changes occur to your system clock when you're using an NTP server. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised to say every hour your computer is fixing itself by a microsecond or two. Mm-hmm. Um, with HR time, the value returned is absolute, not based on the system clock. That How's makes sense. It? How's it getting it? Uh, <laughs> Magic. Yeah. My guess would be that it checks the clock cycles of the CPU as it counts seconds. Hmm. But I'm not sure specifically. What I, what I I'll like, tell you what. Sorry, what I, was, what I read was they were trying to mimic a lot of the parameters. And somebody pointed out, why would you have to pass in a Boolean to say you wanted uh, a float value versus not? And they, they said, well, that's because that's how microtime does it. And they didn't want to have two different function calls. And then that same person, the next, <clears throat> the person that questioned them originally said, yeah, but it's still different because microtime is returning a string by default where you're not. So you're already changing the API from that perspective. So why, why not just break completely and not mimic microtime at all? There's no need to. So there are some low-level kernel commands that you can access that request monotonic time from the kernel. And that is what's being used to establish the accurate time from this measure. Hmm. Um, and, and it brings PHP you know, one step closer to the, the enterprise everything um, Perfect timekeeping is really essential for big applications. And it seems small, but I think it allows PHP to be used in places where previously people had said it doesn't keep time correctly or well enough. Um, I like it. Have a solution. So Just I, turn off NCP date and you're good to go. Well, there are other problems, though, <laughs> that can arise. Yeah, I'm sure. Eric, you're about to say something, then he hey. decided to drink instead. No, I I, I was going to say story something of his life two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> I hate my life, my life. Have uh, a drink. So speaking of, damn, I said so. I have to drink now. Oh, now see, now I have to refresh my beer. You go on. 
Speaking of symphony, I've really, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of symphony. And I have become so addicted to uh, Fabian's Medium blog post. Um, He's kind of the guy at symphony. He's the developer. And he's been doing a lot of, a lot of blog posts around symphony four and you know, where it's at the next step, what it's doing. And man, I'm, I'm really, really starting to embrace it a little bit more. Each blog post that, that comes out, I'm like, all right, this is nice. They're coming up with these packages now where if you're trying to create an API, you just pull in symphony API and you know, it'll basically build the framework for APIs. Or if you're doing websites, it'll pull in the, you know, a lot of the common components because by default, it's pretty scaled, scaled back. Um, not as scaled back as I originally felt it was, but it is missing some kind of uh, things that you would th- typically think would be there for default framework install, like a CLI interface, a uh, uh, built-in web server, and things like that. But um, but they're coming up with these packages now where it'll build out the framework a little, little bigger. I, I'm I'm starting to. It's a lot like Laravel, um, or or even Cake PHP in the day, where once you start to understand the mindset, the the things that they're doing makes so much more sense. And I'm starting to understand that the mindset in the Symphony kind of universe is, you know, to I guess it was very common to start to uh, prune back the framework and remove components that that weren't necessary. Uh, to kind of make it more optimized and, and faster. And so they're kind of taking that approach where now you got to build the framework up a little bit, which is a little intimidating for, you know, newer developers or, or developers who are used to having everything in the framework when they when they first spin it up. But once you start to get your head around it and start to realize what, what packages you typically need, what packages you want, um, it's nice. It, it's getting nice. But, but what... It, my point being, uh, Fabian's Medium blog posts on Symphony Four have been fantastic, and I find myself I've I've he's one of the people I've subscribed to on Medium, and fi- I find myself waiting for him to put out put out a new blog blog post every week or so. Yeah, everything he's been writing has, has been incredible on Medium within the last like six or seven months. It's just it's- been. It's, a, it's a, yeah. It's like where where have you been this whole time? I, I'm sure right. if you if you're in the symphony world, it's very common. But for whatever reason, he's never surfaced any of the channels that I follow. And now that I he think, has, I think he started deciding to work on symphony again. I think he was working on symphony the corporation, and I think he decided to start working on symphony the code base again. Really? And that's what brought him out of the sort of woodworks. Is that because he, he he clearly just showed up in my feeds yeah, all of a sudden I'm, I'm the he same was way. Yeah. publishing regularly and i'm like oh where is this coming from this guy knows everything yeah and i want to i really want to see him talk i i want to go to a conference or maybe he wants to come to san diego for a conference i don't know but i really <laughs> really really so badly want to see this guy talk and yeah just me see too how and much i feel like i've from him. I feel like I've grown out of Laracasts and into his feeds, where Laracasts is practical implementations, and a lot of what he covers is architecture and and best practice and logical reasoning behind practices. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Also, so I was we... going to say 
I was going to say the symphony way of doing things was to write the documentation first and then teach PHP how to read documentation. I went through one of this, one of his, one of his blog posts that, excuse me, one of his blog posts that included a tutorial on Symphony 4. And of course it pulled in Doctrine. And I've used Doctrine in the past, but I've always used it differently. I, I've never used it with the, uh, what's, what's the commenting system? Um, what do you call that? I'm blinking here. Help me out. Documentation. No, 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 the, no, no, all no, the routing no. that it does, and yeah, yeah, I know but what it's you all, mean. It's, it's all in the comments. It's it's called something specifically. Help me out, John. Help me out. I don't know. <clears throat> um, I know. I know what you're talking about. Annotation. Annotation. Called. Using annotations. Oh. So, yes. so the whole the the whole uh, doctrine uh, database functionality model. It's comp- it's all annotations. There's no code. It's all annotations. I'm like, I'm looking at. It, I'm like. Okay, I see what you're saying it's going to do, but you don't have any PHP code here. How is it going to yeah. do any of this stuff? So and it, do- it creates the database. It creates the table tables. It creates the columns. It's a knit. It's a var card. It's a- it just does it all. Like there's no. Code it remembers anywhere. to send flowers to your wife. It does everything. It's witchcraftery, I tell you. It's amazing. I'm like, wait a minute. That was pretty damn cool, man. No, not cool at all. It's all annotate. It's all tech. It's all doc blocks. I don't get it. That stuff's not supposed to be working. used. <laughs> That's not supposed to be used at all. It's like, are you even a coder at that point? Are you just like a good documenter? <laughs> and, uh, and it was it I, was really cool because uh, the tutorial uh, he he did. I was talking about the packages. He does one for APIs, and in a couple of steps, you have your API endpoints. You have the the database stuff documented because you're using annotations, and then the APIs themselves are self-documenting. Where there's a there's a there's a site part of your site you can go to that will just kick out all the API documentation for you without adding any extra code. It's it's crazy. It's a crazy world, and I'm a big API guy. I love love developing APIs, and I see that I'm like oh. I can do that. It's I hard. Love, it, I love coding. It, it's hard to, to bring doctrine into an existing application, though. I would love to. Yeah. I would love to use it on a greenfield brand new application, but changing your application over to it is not easy. I've tried a couple times yeah. and failed. I have something I new for you guys. Be scared to. I, have I, a... I feel like it's so fragile, but I guess maybe not. What is that, Thomas? I'm sorry. I have something. So I'm running. JetBrains Toolbox. Are you guys using that at all? I am. Mm-mm. Yep. What's JetBrains Toolbox? What is that? So it's a launcher for all of the JetBrains products, but it also what? keeps everything up to date. It does updates on all of your installed software automatically, and it's Linux friendly. So if you've ever installed PHP Storm in Linux, you'll notice that there's some difficulties making sure each version is the right version you're launching and pinning it to the toolbar, et cetera, et cetera. Some just sort of basic annoyance behaviors. John, I don't appreciate you using these things and not... Wait a I minute. Did it based is on something you have to pay for? No, it's free. No, it's free. I did it based on Thomas's recommendation. You obviously don't listen to him. That was a different episode. That was an episode where Eric wasn't here. He listens to the episodes. 
I do listen he to does not. He I, does I don't, not. I listen. don't see this. He this hears them. Us. He doesn't listen to them. I don't listen to you when I'm in the same room <laughs> as you. Are you kidding me? Wait, where do you? You're like the buzzing of flies to Vigo. To- to- oh, so this is so this is a companion for the toolbox subscription, which is very appealing to me. But no, it, if you just have PHP Storm, it also supports just that. Yeah, no, I, I realize that, but I'm just. I'm saying that's kind of why they came out with it. They're they're trying to appeal to the people who use a bunch of their products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I it'll still, track your projects for you. I mean, it's real handy. It's got some I real still cute don't see stuff. How but you download the damn thing? How do you get it? Everything I click click on takes me to the the. Uh, okay, got it. That was not so, clear. So I'm running the latest version of PHP Storm seven uh, 2017 EAP, and now I'm getting a totally bizarre warning from PHP Storm. And I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's telling me to use a slash in front of all built-in methods to PHP. So instead of in array, they want me to use slash in array. That'd be what? annoying. Instead of, instead of is set, they want me to use slash is set. And it's saying that this is an opcode optimization where PHP doesn't scrub the current working context for any functions with that name. It just uses the built-in method directly, and it cuts out a bunch of function calls. So it's supposed to be a speed optimization by doing so? Yes, and there is a GitHub repository that explains why you do this and the benchmarks for it showing a 68% difference on call user funk and stuff like that. Huge differences in performance by namespacing the built-in functions of PHP. I'd love to see a real-world benchmark on that, though, like on an actual application, not just... But see... That's the best part about it is that that's the easiest thing to do is you just go everywhere in your existing application and add it everywhere and then benchmark it against the old version. It would be such an easy thing to do. Well, you say that. Such an easy thing to do. Such an easy thing. (laughs) So I'm I'm really fascinated by this. I want you guys to look into this and tell me what you've come up with because I'm going to be looking into this. To try so and improve I'm, performance I'm on to my find, system. I'm, I'm scanning our uh, I'm scanning our Slack right now, our company Slack, because I recently. Um, well, what, see, while, while you're it. looking for that, I'm going to talk to Thomas. Uh, have you seen the plugin for PHP Storm called PHP Inspections EA Extended? I I did see that friend of the show. Marcus shared that with everyone. Yeah, he yes, he shared it with us. I don't know if we talked about it on the show yet, but I've been using that. No, like that. Yeah, so that it does all the uh, sort of PHP MD type inspections, mm-hmm. but right there in the in the IDE with uh, either Control Alt I or Control, sorry Shift Alt I or Control Alt I, depending on your OS, and gives you code style, control flow, error handling, 
language level migration performance php doc type compatibility and other warnings yeah it's both good and bad i mean there's times where i open up a, a pull request for a simple feature but i found myself getting lost in that <laughs> file like oh i gotta change all yeah. my double quotes to single quotes and i gotta change it makes it so easy to change or fix problems even though they're not really problems but they're optimizations and then all of a sudden my pull request is a mess and gets complained about yeah you know my my mentor from literally 20 years ago had a term for that which was masturbating over details <laughs> where where you can basically infinitely spend time getting all of the details and perfecting it and wasting your time on it but in reality it works and it's good and don't but doesn't see, need more time spent on it but there's a difference if i were looking for it all of the double quotes to change them to single quotes just to do so. I'm trying to fix micro. I'm trying to micro optimize, which is stupid. But if the IDE will do it for me and all I have to do is hit option enter and it does it, why not do it? I'm not spending more than a couple of seconds and cleaning up a file. Now, see, well, I don't want the IDE to do it for me. I want, I like using it because it gives me code quality goals to strive for. No, I, I agree, and I'm it not having it build do... positive habits. Yeah, but I'm not. I agree, and I'm not having it like go and change an entire file. But for my key combination, it's F2 to find the next issue in the file, and yeah, if you could just say fix that line. Yeah, and I do. That'd you, be nice. F2 takes me to the next one. It's oh, it's a double quote thing. Option enter, it fixes it, and I just move on. Boom, okay, boom, so boom. I need to get better at that then, because that's what I need to use. Yeah, I'm not a fan of mass changes that I'm not that I don't know are going to be made. But your pull requests never get accepted anyways, so what's the deal that's with true. how complex they are? That's that's true. All right, did you find what you were looking for in Slack, Eric? I did. I did. And it actually ties into this uh what Thomas was saying in a bunch of different ways. So, I uh when you do a commit in Slack, so hold on one second, quick drink. When you do a commit in Slack, uh you a have commit? a bunch of options. Commit in Slack? I'm sorry. When you do a commit in PHP Storm, you have a bunch of options you can check, like, uh, you know, check coding and check, uh, I forget all, what all the checks are. I typically uncheck them all except for like, whatever the top two are. <laughs> but I was working on a project, a Greenfield project. As a matter of fact, if I'm remembering correctly, it was, my, it was the Symphony code I was walking through the tutorial on. So I check everything. Because I want to see where I'm messing up, or maybe a lot of times you find out the framework isn't PCR compliant or something like that. So I check everything to see what what's what's what. And PHP Storm alerts me and says, "Hey, uh, you're running a PHP application. You're using Composer. You really should think of, you really should install uh, Security Advisories, which is from the same comp uh, same group that Thomas was just talking about with the function." Fully qualified name replacer that Rova is that how you say that? I think it's just Rove created. Is it Rove? Okay, uh, I, that's I think that's how I've heard it said as well. And what Rove Security Advisory does is it looks at all your Composer packages and sees if any of them has any uh, security exploits on record. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool that Storm <laughs> thought to do that. You only had two tickets in Trello, and this was one of them. 
what's the point? I don't get what you mean. He spent like five minutes looking for it. <laughs> Haven't even gotten to the ticket yet, Thomas. But thanks, thanks for thanks for uh, spoiling the, spoiling that one for me. Appreciate that. <laughs> so I w- I was thinking about how cool it was that PHP Storm caught that when before I started to do the commit and told me, hey, you know, you should you should look at that. No sooner does that happen that I get an email from GitHub on an older repo I had, a completely different repo, that is doing the exact same thing. And it was it was specifically because I committed my composer lock file, not my composer JSON. And it says, hey, we see you have this package in a composer lock file. This package has a security vulnerability. Uh, you should look at replacing it. And I'm like, wow, that is that is pretty cool too so i just thought that was it's a very proactive uh approach to it the issue with the github warning was and and i didn't try the uh, security advisory one but the issue with the github warning and i'm not sure how to address it is the package that it called out was a dependency of another package and i was like okay i can't upgrade this directly because it's actually a you know nested in so other packages uh so i wasn't sure how to how to fix that but i still appreciate the fact that github alerted me to it you would have to fork your dependency and then put a composer override on your repository to point to your fork for Mm it Mm -hmm. i've had to do that it's it's a pain in the ass but yeah all right guys we're we're pushing and then you're you're stuck maintaining that fork, then, aren't you? And until maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but hopefully, I mean, if you're able to fix the issue, open a pull request back, and hopefully they would accept it as a security issue, but... unless it's a completely dead project, in which case you might as well maintain your own. Now it's yours. You're, you're just <laughs> now you, you just became it. the maintainer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's... Thomas, were you wrapping the uh... show? <clears throat> I I was I was no I was wrapping what was it, was that what the, I heard I was wrapping the conversational portion of the show where we talk about things you guys want to talk about and breaking into my portion of the show where we talk about things that only I want to talk about. <laughs> Go for it. You know it's the, it's the part of the show that wraps up the show. <sighs> this is when people. Hey, stop who knows Q? Who knows Q Sharp? Do you guys know Q Sharp? I know. Brent Sharp, he was a he was a he was a good guy. Brent Sharp, not the same thing. No, different. Microsoft, we talked about this about two months ago. Microsoft has actually released it now. They've got their quantum programming language up and running. You can go ahead and run their Hello World example. It's only ten pages long. <laughs> I'll be jumping right on that bandwagon. It is the nerdiest thing in the world. It says, the very last paragraph, now when we run, we get something pretty amazing. Init 0, 0 seconds, 499. 1 second, 501. Agree 1000. Init 1, 0 seconds, 490. 1 second, 510. Agree 1000. There you go. Pretty amazing. So it creates a bell state in a simulated quantum environment that you can run on your computer. Uh, a bell state is a relationship between two quantum particles, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but real quantum computing applications coming up. Um, and yeah, in a hundred years, it's going to be really important to know this. 
but that's just a follow-up. I wanted to get to just the most awesome combination of doom and gloom and cryptocurrency talk that we've ever had. John, I know you've had your eyes on this. I have not. I've been, I saw it on your list and I wanted to know what it was, but I didn't click on it because I wanted to hear your take. Kodak at CES this year announced Kodak Coin. <laughs> I did hear this somewhere. And not only did they announce Kodak Coin, but they released some sample hardware, a, a mining rig for mining Kodak Coin that is basically a an off-the-shelf Bitcoin mining ASIC system with a Kodak sticker on the side that says Kodak Cash Miner with a K. And it even goes so far as to say it is a powerful Bitcoin miner at the bottom. <laughs> so it doesn't even mine its own coin. It mines Bitcoin. <laughs> so Kodak is breaking into the cryptocurrency. The day they announced this, their stock went up 120%. And then they cashed out. I and shit they you shut not. Down. They have announced literally nothing except that it will secure the digital rights to people's copyrighted content and that it will somewhat automate the process of litigating unlawful use of your content but nothing in their press release i read the whole thing nothing has anything to do with the blockchain for any good reason i mean you can put an mp3 on the blockchain that doesn't mean you should have <laughs> and they are not proposing anything interesting or unique except for a service where they sue people for you wow um and on that news, their stock went up 120%, which is just ridiculous. Uh, you, don't, you don't think professional photographers would see value in that? Absolutely not. Yeah, it, it's the equivalent... No, it's the equivalent of buying the insurance that they sell you at Best Buy for the thing you just bought. Where well, if that's... you know better, you know that they're lo they're making money on you and that you should just go through the regular process of covering your own warranty. And that you'll probably never have to deal with it anyways. The service they're providing has nothing to do with photography or quality photography or anything like that. This is immediately going to be people registering their memes and then auto-suing people for copying their memes. Huh. And then it's somehow tied to a cryptocurrency that they want you to buy a Kodak cash miner. Now, when I say buy, I mean rent because... They rent you the device that is used to mine, and you pay them in payments where they give you an estimated payout based off of a difficulty they control because it's a centralized coin. It is everything that you could do wrong with a cryptocurrency, they're doing wrong. And the moment that somebody tries to invest in it and then is told that it's the dumbest possible thing to invest in, then the whole thing will fall apart. Have you guys noticed that? We we live in a world where a lot of people we interact with are similar, uh, of similar mindset as we are, which is basically early adopters and kind of futurists and taking pride in understanding where things are going. Have you guys experienced this bitter divide that's growing between the early adopters who haven't invested in Bitcoin 
and the ones that have, and the ones who haven't are basically starting to lash out, talking about, this is the dumbest thing. Why is this, why do we still talk about this? Why is this still a thing? Mm-hmm. Are, you, do you, are you guys experiencing that? I am because, as you know, I'm developing Buscoin, the cryptocurrency for the content creator. Mm-hmm. And, and in doing so, I've gotten myself involved in a lot of cryptocurrency groups. And so many of them are people who are early adopters based off of what someone else is telling them to adopt early. They are poorly or completely uninformed early adopters. Hmm. And that, that attitude and behavior has introduced absolutely clueless people into an environment that is full of academics and techies and nerds. Mm-hmm. So you go to these meetups and there's five graybeards and then 20 people whose farm is going under and they're trying to save it with Bitcoin. And the, the guys who know what they're doing look around and go, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Because it's these people who are being fleeced by people who won't show up to meetups because they know that they are the bad guy. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I think it's more of they 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 missed a pretty big boat, and now they're hoping that boat is the Titanic because they're feeling bad that they that they're not on it. I, I see that too. I mean, there's a lot of anger about video card prices right now. Yeah, because the gamer community wants to play their video games, but video card prices went up eighty percent in the last three days. Because of speculation on the cryptocurrency markets, and it's driving everyone nuts. I mean, there is definitely a get out of my pool, this is for me, not you mentality with a lot of stuff. That's funny. I do do want to take a moment. I know we're running a little long here, and I do want to kind of circle back. If you guys listening, or you people listening, I say guys in a very generic form. I've been called out on this several times now. I apologize. If our listeners listening <laughs> know Y'all. us, uh, if you know us, you know that we're passionate about what we do. We're passionate about code. We're passionate about the community of our code, specifically PHP and the PHP community. Uh, John and I have decided to take up the effort of creating a local or creating a community conference. It's not necessarily local but creating a community conference to fill a void here in Southern California where we didn't feel like there was a, a good PHP conference uh, out here and we wanted to kind of establish one. And that we finally saw that start to, start to happen and it's happening this year where we've been discussing it for years and we're working on Wave PHP. And I completely appreciate the hard work and effort involved with doing a conference especially when it's not your full-time job it's something that you're you're doing out of the out of the goodness of not the goodness of your heart but out of just wanting it's a karma thing i mean that there's no money to be made you're a great person and you want to know how to share it it's not it's not even that I'm, i'm kind of an asshole i'm not really that great of a person john's a better person than i am many people attest to that but it's just, really, just his Facebook is shaming. <laughs> it's Have you really, seen John's Facebook? It's I, I stopped following it's him. Devastating. I, I, I can only take so many pictures of cute kids, and then I start to get ill, so I have to stop <laughs> oh, following him. Yeah, no, he's it's got disgusting. way too many cute kids on his stream. But it's 
it's it is important to us and you know we've built a company around that passion and we're working on a conference around that passion and it's hard and it's getting people interested and getting people to want to come to the conference just so you have enough to do the conference again is a scary thing um and matt trask reached out to me uh he's another person way bigger in the php community than i am um he's bigger in the php community than john and i put together are and uh matt is you know he's working with the team in nashville nashville tennessee and they're putting together a conference as well they're putting together southeast php so ours is wave php it's here in san diego it's in september uh in nashville tennessee which might not be as appealing a place as San Diego. Grant you that. Don't worry about it, though. No. Wait, what? Not necessarily. I... Not necessarily a destination city, <laughs> sure, but a great place. I've been there. It's a wonderful place. But I'm sure there's a couple people that are interested in Nashville. But in Nashville, Tennessee, Matt Trask is uh, doing South Southeast PHP, and his conference is in August. So it's it's almost a, a exact month before ours. This is August 16th in the 16th and 17th. Ours is the 19th through the 21st. First, is that right, yep. John? Yeah, yep. So um, so our, ours is September 19th through the 21st. Matt's is August 16th through the 17th. Southeast PHP in Nashville, Tennessee. If, uh, if you can't make it out to California or if for some reason Nashville sounds more appealing to you, uh, I highly recommend that you check out uh, southeastphp.com. And, uh, or if you want to do both. Or have your company do both. Yes, it, yeah. it's a good time to travel that time of year. And, uh, hey, Eric. Yeah. Eric, uh, what is late summer like in San Diego? I just, I don't remember. It's, it's been a year. Late, late, it's awful, right? Is, is it let's like not even super... worry about late summer. Let's talk about like like middle of the winter. Right now, I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops. It's like 75. Uh, Here, hold on. Watch this. Okay, Google. What's the weather tomorrow? Low of 54. Did you guys get that? High of 77, no. low of 54. That's uh that's the weather. So what you're here. saying? January 11th or January 12th. It's going to be a high of 77, low of 54 here in San Diego. So San Diego is pretty much the most awesome place you could live or visit any time of year. Especially on, so what you're saying, on the from, beach. From, from what I hear here. In Mission Bay, it'll probably you, be in mid 70s. Perfect weather. So if you if you go to one conference this year, go to Symphony Live in San Francisco. If you go to two <laughs> conferences this year, go to Symphony Live and Wave PHP. Now, if you go to three conferences this year, you got you got to go. How did Symphony Live South, get in here? Are Southwest. we getting a cut of that? Sure. <laughs> is it really in? Uh, is it really in uh, San Francisco? I, I, they do a bunch of symphony lives, right? Aren't there like? Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to know what the date is for it, though. No, no. What is it? Tell me. October nineteenth. Oh. So you're in San Diego already. You've gone to Wave PHP. You've got a week or two to relax, hang out, and then you can go up to San Francisco. It's a it's a little six uh, eight hour drive up to San Francisco and. You can you can be there for Symphony Live. I'll go to Symphony. Beautiful Live. city. I I I do like San Francisco. It's been a while since I've been up there, but I am a fan. Am I am I am I helping? Am I I'm trying to help? Am I helping? I don't think any of I I think uh, I think Matt is going to going to block me on Twitter after he hears this. Yeah. So. 
pretty pretty sure this is Fabian, we're gonna get sued. Fabian just posted on Twitter. Fabian just posted on Twitter. I just released uh, Silex 2.2.2, which is about a security issue. This guy is getting out there. I he he keeps popping up on my Twitter feed. He keeps popping up on and my you see recipes. You see that little? You see that check mark? Verified. I, is he verified? I That's some, something none of us. Something none of us have. How do you get? Oh yeah, he is verified. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, my my mother won't verify that I'm actually her son, so I can't expect Twitter to verify that I'm who I am either. It, it, it's a it's a deep, dark personal issue that I uh, <laughs> I cry myself to sleep on, on fairly regularly. But you know. all right, thanks for the doom and gloom on this episode, there, uh, Eric. <laughs> I do think that's a good stopping point for the night. I'm, I'm about out of I my I think wine probably and... about an hour ago would have been a good stopping point. <sighs> I, John, love, I love that John's John's running gag is that he doesn't want to be here. John, you specifically <laughs> asked if we could have this wrapped up in an hour and 30 minutes. You said, hey, you think we could have this done in an hour and 30 minutes? And Thomas and I said, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. And it's an hour and 33 minutes. What What is your issue? Yeah, we're only slightly over. Oh, this has right. been fun. Anyways, that, I'm Tom Rideout. That is going to wrap up episode 91. Oh, come on. Thank you, you can't very let much. Me wrap it up. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Congdon. I'm Clive Owen. Keep thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.